Hey guys, thanks for joining us for episode 12. We've got a pretty cool one on deck. We're going to talk about a little bit of how the prim season's finishing up, get into a little Tim Tebow talk, the man is back, and then we're going to get into a, a little baseball talk here at the end. So Tong, Premier League season coming down to the end. What are your kind of initial thoughts or reactions about kind of how the season's going to finish up? Yep, uh, City just clinched, so that's disappointing, as we called a while back. Um, not that surprising. I mean, they have, you know, the wonder team right now. They have a lot going for them. Um, it will be interesting to see, because we do have the, the title decided, and we have the bottom three decided, Sheffield, West Brom, and Fulham going down, I believe. Um, so it will be interesting to see how, like, three through seven, three through six finish up, just because that will decide top four, and kind of will decide the off season for a lot of these teams. Cause you know, who you can attract and things like that. Like, you know, you look at a team like Arsenal and, you know, they've been sitting like mid table most of the time, but now if they can just manage to get a few more wins here at the end, they just beat Chelsea at the time of recording. If they can get a few more wins. They might be able to sneak into Europa league. And that would be at least something to hang, you know, their hat on for the season. So it will be interesting, interesting to see what happens, I guess. Yeah. I heard that this is the earliest that the bottom three have ever been officially relegated. So it's kind of, you know, city clinched early and those bottom three were kind of, kind of out early and in the middle is still, there's a lot to be played and, and still a lot can happen and things can get mixed up. It's pretty exciting. I think. Yeah. I'm the bottom three. It was kind of crazy because Sheffield were, you know, before COVID right before COVID they were kind of in the mix for even champions league. I, I don't know exactly where they were, but they were around like top seven or so. Uh, um, and then they just went on a slide from there where they, and they have like, what, like 15 points this year or something like that. Like they have something crazy low, you know, and you, you would have thought that same Allardyce said West Brom would have been able to keep um, them up a little bit better than what he has. He had the reputation for coming in and just being the guy to um, save clubs. He hasn't done that. So it's almost like this. I, I thought the season would be kind of closer in some ways, like city started off really not poor, but they were like six or so to start off the season. And, and all of a sudden they went on like this huge unbeaten streak and they're up there. So um, it's a little surprising to me to see how it's all turned out. Um, but it's still going down to the wire for some spots. That's, you know, also encouraging. Yeah. You mentioned city kind of had a rough start. United didn't, had that rough patch too where and then they they bounced back and now they're solidly in second place yeah but i think you know those those final champions league champions league spots and then the europa league spots are are completely up for grabs there are plenty of teams that are that are fighting for those last last spots and that makes these last games a lot of fun i think yeah and i, I think part of the reason too why there were slow sh slow starts was that um I think last season it went late because of COVID. Like they're trying to fit in games at the end and teams were still in European competitions. And then it kind of, they didn't have much of an off season. And so that kind of hurt them. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you, if you're looking at it right now, Leicester are around third, fourth area. I think they're in third right now. Um, yeah. So, you know, that's something where Brennan Rogers can, he, he kind of has a reputation right now for being somebody who has, can have a good season with the team and then maybe not finish it off with um, the good league position that he wants. If he can get top four with them, Leicester in a really good spot just because, you know, they have a core of a team that's really nice. And um, I think if they can improve on that and really hold, you know, keep hold of their guys, I think they have a real chance at being able to, I don't know. I, I don't know what their ceiling is, but I think they have a real chance to, to put a team together for next year. Yeah, I think you hit on the head, though, right there is is if if they keep their guys. I think that's something that they've always struggled to do. And one thing that I've noticed that 
that hurts Leicester more than some of the other clubs is, is just the depth. Like they have, they have a pretty good 11, but then after going under there, like, like United rolled out a whole new 11 on, on Monday and, 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 and they were competitive. If Leicester rolls out their, their next 11, they're, they're terrible. And I think like your Tielemans has played all but two games. He started all but two games. So you're like, that's a lot of wear and tear on, on a one guy. And so I just think like, while the, while they have a competitive 11, I think that depth could really struggle, especially if they start competing in European competitions or adding more games to the schedule and stuff like that. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how it goes. And, and also to your point with Brennan Rogers, you know, last year, the big collapse, I think a sim- similar thing happened when he was at Liverpool um, he kind of put a little bit of that to rest when he went to Celtic and dominated and won everything he could. But I think in the last year, and then there's, I mean, anything could happen from here on out. Still confident, but uh, there, there is a chance that another collapse is, is there. Yeah. Um, I, I would say, I think they're catching up with depth a little bit. Like I agree that the, the second 11 isn't quite as good, but you're looking at United, they rely a lot on Maguire. They rely a lot on Bruno Fernandes. And like when Cavani's not in, they look a lot worse, even compared to like Martial, something like that. So, um, and I think Leicester's been really good at recruitment in the last few years where they can bring in, they've brought in guys who legitimately do replace the guys they sell. And I think once, if that ever stops being uh, on point, that's when they're going to probably suffer. So you look at like Southampton, they were a team that was kind of bouncing around top six or so maybe not top six but they were you know in contention and and then they started not being able to replace their guys and now they're not even really in the conversation at all but if they can just keep that up a few more years i think that they can that's when you can kind of see the team start to shift where it's like oh maybe they're, now they're considered part of the um part of the big six or whatever maybe now they're because i mean they're going up and arsenal a team like that kind of going down right now so it'll be interesting to see if they can keep that up you kind of hit it on the head though. If they have a year or two where they don't hit on their scouting and they bring in the wrong guy, like, so they sold, they sold, they sell McGuire, they sell Chilwell and they bring in, you know, they bring in Pratt, Castagna, Soyonchu, Fofana, all those guys hit. If a couple of those guys or one of those guys is, is bad, we, we might be having a different story here. So like you said, like a Southampton, if, if one of those, one of those years goes bad and, and they don't bring in the right guys, then everything can go South quickly. Sure. I think they have less room for error, but I think the longer it continues where they do well, the better, the better their, you know, it's going to end up for them. Like if you look at Arsenal, for example, or even really United before Ole took over, I don't think many of the signings really hit at all. And they're paying the price for that now. Arsenal sitting in, I think, eighth right now, seventh or eighth. Um, So it's one of those things where if, it's almost as if the the Arsenal ownership are getting overconfident and they're like, Oh, we're going to be fine if we just, you know, stay the course that we've been doing. And meanwhile, Leicester are investing uh, in much smarter ways. So um, yeah, I don't know. We'll see what happens, I guess. And also I think there's something to be said for just being a destination where people want to go. Like you want to be going to a club that's on the rise or has sustained success. Whereas, you know, do people are people wanting to go on Arsenal to try to save them? Like, I mean, it's still like still a, a historic club. Don't get me wrong, but would you rather try to jump aboard a sinking ship and and try to get them to float again, or or go with the team that's on the rise? Yeah, there comes a point where the history doesn't matter anymore to a player. Like it, it will obviously to some degree, but I mean, it's not like it's not like PSG was a historic kind of club for Neymar or that that kind of thing, or not in the same way anyway. So. Um, 
it is like a, a challenge for a player. But if you're a player too, you see what a mess it is right now. Like if you look at Arsenal, I don't really know what the problem is specifically. Like I, I know the ownership I wouldn't want, you know, and, but like every game I watch, I think, Oh, that player's good. And then the next game, I think, I don't know, man, that player just had one of the worst games I've seen. And I feel like Arsenal fans themselves are a little confused on what even is the problem. And if you're an outside player looking at that, you're like, I don't need to deal with that. I can go to a champions league team or they at least have an identity like Lester have an identity at least. I, I don't know. Um, and it's not Arteta's fault, all of our, all of his fault, but I don't know what the identity is of some of these teams. Yeah. I was an Arsenal fan for all of three hours today while they were playing Chelsea and it was brutal. It was tough. Like I can't imagine being on board for a whole season or multiple years. Like, whew. yeah. Yeah. I, uh, shout out to our former guest, Alex Baker. Cause I don't know how he does that right now, but I, it's crazy. Cause I could see, um, I honestly, if Ole didn't turn it around to the degree that he has and really developed the players that he has right now, I could have seen it going. It, it wouldn't surprise me to see a United in ninth. You know, it, it's the same problems. You hear Arsenal fans talk about ownership. It's the same problems that you hear from United fans. Is just, I don't know. It's it's working out for us so far. We have really talented guys to fall back on. So, and, and it just takes a couple of years where your signings don't hit. So speaking of signings, are there any signings this year that you were like, wow, that was a great signing or that was a real flop? Um, I would say for – he's been hurt a bit, so it, maybe he's not as good as it was, but uh, James Rodriguez for Everton. Beginning of season two, he was just really, really nice for Everton, and he's pretty instrumental to what they do. They don't really have anybody else who um, – can be that creative force in the midfield that they need. Uh, and then I'd also say probably Cavani for United. Um, Martial hasn't had the season that we kind of w- was hoping for, for from him at striker. Uh, I, I kind of see him more as a left winger anyway. Um, but Cavani was that number nine reliable guy off the bench that you knew could you could rely on for some class. Um, and, and he's honestly... I, Look, I didn't watch him that much because he played in League One and everything, and I didn't care as much about the French League, but he's really good. Like, his movement off the ball, his technique, a little bit quicker than I thought. Um, I was, like, opposed to the signing at first because I didn't think it was, like, the right signing to make on a deadline day, and I, I just thought it was like, oh, we're desperate, we'll go get Cavani, some, some big name, but he's been perfect for us. So I'd say I'd say those two for me. I think Willian is the one that stands out for me as the – as the flop, I mean, I don't know what was expected, but it was all the talk of I'm coming to Arsenal because I'm going to win trophies. And, I mean, as as you we kind of alluded to, that's kind of far from the truth. Like, there's still a chance, don't get me wrong, but he had, he had a lot of big talk of, of I, I'm coming here to win trophies and all this stuff. And, and at one point he was a very successful player, so I think there were high hopes and high standards for him. Like, he hasn't been been near as what he was back in his prime, but – I think that's my big flop. And um, you kind of went with a United guy for your, for your, uh, for your good signing. I'll go with a Leicester guy. I'll go with Castagna. I think he has been fantastic. Same, similar situation. I didn't know too much about him though. And I just thought we were giving a lot of money to some Belgian outside back. And I was like, ah, is, is he going to be all right? In his first couple games, he just looked average. But I think as he settled down, he's been, he's been very good. He's, He's honestly turned into one of my favorite players to watch now that James Justin is hurt. He's slid right in there. And so he gets in the attack. It's, it's, it's awesome to watch, honestly. So he's been yeah. a good signing. 
He's a fun player to watch. Um, the William one's funny just because I think he started off the year with a couple of sets, two or three in a game or something like that. And then he started off didn't with score in the goal. Yeah. Yeah. And then didn't score until the free kick, like in game week 35 or something like that. Like he, not the signing that they were hoping for. Um, and it's not that surprising. He's at the tail end of his career, but um, yeah, disappointing for him to say the least. But uh, my flop was um, I'd say uh, Rian Brewster for Sheffield. They spent, I think it was like 24 million euros on him or pounds, something like that, um, to be their striker. They didn't really have a number nine that like could be the guy. And they don't have a big budget anyway. So like you're talking about, you know, March of error, like they have to hit their signing. It's a large and they're point. coming off a season. Yeah, they're coming off a season where it's like they were 10th or so they finished and they could, you know, they were expected to do decent after being promoted. And I think he's had zero goals, zero goal involvements, like spent all the money on him, and then he just did not deliver. Liverpool got a great deal out of that because uh, he was never going to play with Liverpool either. Um, so, I don't know. They took him for a ride there, and then now they're stuck with him, I guess. I, I don't know if he's – it's not like I watched Sheffield that much this year, so maybe he'll turn it around, but not I, a great signing. I think that's a really good shout because he takes up a large percentage of their payroll, as well as I think Sheffield thought that they were one striker away from making European football. Right. Like they were they were in that in that conversation last year and they thought maybe if you bring in a goal scorer, he's worth the money. You know, we get into Europa League or Champions League. We make that top four, top six. So yeah. I think I think that's a good shout. So we're going to transition into the the other football here. Big news happening. Tim Tebow is back. What are your thoughts on on old Timmy Teebs coming in back into the league? I love to see it like Tebow. I, I never like loved it to the extent that ESPN loved it back in the day where we'd have, you know, 24 hour coverage of them. But I mean, I'm all for it. I, I don't think it's, I don't know if it's going to work. I don't really care if it's going to work. I just kind of want to see it happen. I want to see it work. Um, you know, he's been out of the league, what, like eight years now. So, yeah. And he hasn't really played in like 10. Right. Cause he, yeah. So it's, it's just seems like a clubhouse kind of signing, like urban, like a good fit. Urban Meyer is going to love him. Um, you know, maybe he'll catch a few or whatever. It'd be a good coach on the side. But what I want to see happen is Trevor Lawrence lead him to the playoffs to some degree. Minor injury, but he can't play. Incepts Tebow, another playoff win. We're golden. I want to see that. I would. That would pay all my money to see to watch that game. That would be amazing. I think Jacksonville just became my second favorite team. So after I buy my Justin Fields jersey, I will be signing up for a Tim Tebow. Jacksonville Jersey. I mean, I, I think, I think it's a great story. The dude works hard. He's a good, he's a good locker room guy. Like you said, like I think, but there has been a lot of uproar and negativity towards this signing. I think a lot of people think that Tim Tebow doesn't deserve this position. There are a lot of tight ends out there that have never given up, you know, time and put in a lot of effort that, that think that they should get that job. And they look at, you know, Tim Tebow took, you know, eight years off, he played minor league baseball. He doesn't really deserve this job. And he's kind of just getting it because he's, he's buddies with urban Meyer. They, they have houses next to each other. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think it's a little unfair just because he does have freak athleticism and, you know, I think he's kind of proven it, his resume, you know, maybe it's limited for NFL, but it's, it's proven like it, it speaks for itself. That kind of got him the job, but I do understand the frustration. Like there's guys out there that, you know, don't have necessarily the the 
the accolades of Tebow, but maybe they're a better, they're younger, they're better tight end fit maybe. And they, they don't get the chance because they don't have the name recognition. Like there's, you know, as a former athlete, I would have loved to have the chance, even just one workout that Tebow got that workout, you know? And there's like, there's D1 guys out there who didn't get drafted who would have loved the chance. And there's, you know, D2, D3 guys out there who I'm sure would love to get signed this month that won't have the opportunity because, you know, now they're, now Tebow's got that spot. So it's unfair, but I mean, it is, you know, it is what it is, I guess. It's, it's just the reality of the sports world. And, and I think a lot of people are saying like what Tim Tebow was asked to switch to tight end, like a couple years coming into the league. Like, so what would have happened if he would have switched right away? Would we see a more successful Tim Tebow career? Would he, you know, be catching passes on a regular basis? Um, so I think there is a lot of what if behind his, his career, like what if he would have switched sooner or, or whatever. And so, but I, I like them. I like the signing. The worst that could happen, he's he's getting paid like the league minimum to come in. Great clubhouse guy. The worst the worst thing that could happen is he doesn't even make the roster. Okay, there's no loss by Jacksonville, or they bring him in and he doesn't pan out. He's not a great tight end. Okay, well he's a great locker room guy. Maybe he transitions into a coach. You know, something like that. So yeah. I, I I I like the signing. I think the worst like. It, they're going to sell jerseys, all that kind of stuff. Like I know they didn't do it for a publicity stunt, but like Tim Tebow was going to bring them in some money. So I, I think it's a good signing. Yeah. And I think part of it too, is like Urban Meyer gets signed as the coach and people are like, of course he's bringing in Tebow. Like, it's almost like, really like, this is what, this is your NFL coaching job. And if you're going back to Tebow, what, you know, like, it's almost like, yeah, like he's going to get made fun of because like, of course he's bringing, like he also signed Carlos Hyde, former Buckeye. I think he's signed for, former Florida players. Like it's like, it's almost like so predictable in some ways, but not predictable. That's like, okay, it's, we see what you're doing here, but I mean, it could work for him. He's not a, you know, urban's not a dumb guy. So um, I don't know if this specifically will work, but I'm sure he's not, he's not losing sleep over this one. I don't think urban. I think urban is an intelligent and incredibly intelligent person. And I think, what better person to help you ease into your NFL career than Tim Tebow? Like the dude's one of the most genuine, nicest people, you know, I've heard, I haven't met him, but you know, you hear stuff. Um, but he's going to, he's going to be able to say, Hey, from my experience, this is what I've learned. This is what works. This is what doesn't work. So honestly, he's, he's also a good resource to urban, you know, being, a, being a first year coach and kind of, Cause, cause the college world's way different than the NFL world. And I think urban's aware of that, but Tim Tebow can help ease kind of that transition. I think. Or, or no one eats with Tebow at lunch because they all hate him. Cause he's the coach's favorite and he's turned into the narc because he'll just go tell coach what everyone's doing. And he's not a, he's not a like the clubhouse. <laughs> I don't think that would happen, but that is a possibility. It could happen though. So you're to hear first. It could happen. Yeah. I did hear something, or not hear something, but I did kind of think about like, so there's obviously giving me a lot of pressure on Urban, you know, and a lot of pressure on Trevor Lawrence and a young team. All the cameras are going to go right to Tebow. All the all the media scrutiny. It would kind of make sense if you're like, all right, I'll, I'll bring in Tebow. There's a bit of 40 chess by Urban, but I'll bring in Tebow. Let him, you know, handle all the distractions, and we it won't be as much pressure on Trevor Lawrence. It could backfire, but like maybe now. It gives us some leeway, you know, if, if Tebow's on the bench and the cameras aren't him, maybe it's more time for Mike Warback to adapt. Um, interesting theory. I, I doubt it's like really playing out like that, but never know. Ur Urban's out here playing chess, not checkers. 
Um, Absolutely. I, I think that's a good point, though. I, but also, we've seen that teams aren't willing to, you know, deal with the media scrutiny about a backup player. They don't want to answer questions about some backup. So if Tim Tebow is getting no snaps a game or if he's on the punt coverage team, is he is he worth the publicity, you know, because – is Trevor Lawrence going to want to sit down in his press conference and answer questions about Tim Tebow or is Urban going to – so it'll just depend. I think it will depend on his quality of play. Like he's an athlete, but can he catch, can he block? That's stuff you don't have to do as a quarterback. So it'll be interesting to see his transition. Yeah. I mean, he's not going to want to answer the questions when Tebow wins a job So as quarterback. So True. <laughs> what a story. Tim Tebow overtakes the number one highly touted prospect as – as quarterback yeah. there's there's been crazier things that have happened so let's just send it who cares especially if they have like a if they're like i don't know three and seven let's just say let's put tebow in a quarterback you heard it here first but that is a fair point think of all the trick plays you can do with tim tebow at tight end i mean he doesn't have the best arm but dude was college quarterback goal line packages the jump throw is going to come back it'll be elite the trademarked tebow florida jump throw yep it's coming back all right, we haven't talked too much about baseball since that's kind of gone underway. So let's let's kind of hit some of the major topics that are kind of floating around in baseball. Um, the new one that recently came out is that the Oakland A's are are threatening relocation. What are you What are your kind of thoughts about that? Um, I'm sure it's more than just him, but it kind of just feels like Billy Bean saying, "Give us a good stadium. I'm leaving. I'm tired of dealing with this small market or <laughs> this small market mentality." Um, yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, it's it's to me, it just seems like a leverage play. Like, you know, there's other cities we could go to, um, and it kind of just seems like their A's are saying, "Look, we're going to force the issue in the media, and we're going to try to get public opinion." And you know, we we think we deserve a really great stadium, and you know, if not, we're going to go somewhere else, like Vegas, like the the other Oakland team did. So. Um, it kind of feels like from the front office point of view, it's a win-win, you know, unless it, I, I don't see how it could backfire for them really. Yeah. I think it's 100% a leverage play. The A's are like, listen, we're your last hope. We're all you have left. So you either treat us well or, or we're out as well. I think it would be sad to see all the teams leave Oakland. I think just, especially the A's, I think they've had such a historic run in Oakland. And I think it would just be, it'd be wrong to see them somewhere else. I think. So I hope it doesn't happen. I hope they get their new stadium and, and everything's back to being good. But it would be cool to see the A's with a, with a big budget, though. Like, they always have good players, and, and, you know, once they get to the time where it's time to re-sign them, they can't afford them. So it would be cool if they could, you know, compete with teams like the Dodgers and the Cubs and the Red Sox and, and kind of pay, pay some players. Yeah, I saw a column from somebody who works at The Athletics, and they were saying how, the athletics have like uh, an owner worth $4 billion, but they are and like they're the number six market in the country. And like, I would have, I didn't even know that. Like I would never have guessed the athletics, you know, had that kind of backing. Um, and cause they just aren't treated like that. Like, you know, Moneyball was started there for a reason. Like they, they had to do Moneyball to even try to succeed and it really hasn't even fully worked. So um, it would be disappointing for their fans you know, it, it's almost it's almost easy to be like, do they have the worst fans in the in uh, the country just because all their teams have left? But like, obviously, it's not their fault. But it, the mind instantly goes there where it's like they have the most they have the worst fans, or the most unlucky fans, because literally 
uh, all their teams are leaving them. <laughs> like, I, I think it's unlucky. I think, well, I mean, the A's don't have the greatest attendance, but you looked at the Raiders and, and they had all those diehards that would wear the, you know, the shoulder pads and the face paint and all that kind of stuff. Um, I, yeah, I just feel bad for the city in general. I mean, I do understand that there's money in other cities and, and that's kind of the new trend. We, we hadn't seen any relocations in our lifetime until a couple of years ago and then three or four happened just like that. And so I think it's kind of a new trend to saying like one team kind of did it and then everyone else is like, oh, it worked out for them. So why can't it work for us? Um, I just hope it doesn't become like a, like a new thing where a bunch of teams are kind of shifting around. And Yeah, I mean – the only thing I'd say is the athletics the last few seasons averaged less fans than the Reds and they had good teams, like really like, you know, actually good teams. And the Reds aren't exactly known for, you know, uh, I'd say good teams or fans who turn out the games. So they, they're not doing themselves any favors when then the owners see that and they're like, okay, well, we don't have a stadium we want. Fans aren't coming to the games. Like we need this or, you know, we're going to go to Vegas or we're going to go to, I've seen Portland thrown out or Vancouver, or Nashville. So, um, yeah, I, I don't think they're doing themselves any any favors, but it's also, of course, you know, not not their fault necessarily, the fans. Right. I think it'll be another team that's has kind of mentioned about relocation is the Rays, who I think they've consistently come in the last in, in terms of the tenants in the last few years. They talked about doing like half their season in Montreal and then half in Tampa Bay. I don't think that would work at all, but it's something – like it's interesting to think about. Yeah, that's that's like the uh, that's like the Super League's wet dream right there. Like trying to do like just well, yeah, just do some games in North America and some in Europe, and like that's like the beginning of that. It feels like like yeah, we Tampa's not even a great spot, so let's just do Montreal or let's. I just feel like something that if you were a player on that team, you must hate that. That's- you know, because you're like, where do you live and. I don't know. In the NFL, they always talk, if you have two quarterbacks, you have no quarterbacks. I feel like that's the exact same scenario here. If you have two different home stadiums, you don't have a home stadium. Like, are players expected to buy an apartment in both places? Or, like, it just doesn't seem logistically smart to me. And and how do you develop loyal fans if so that you only get half your games at home to start with, and so now it's only a quarter? Like, I, it just doesn't seem like a smart play to me. And maybe that's why we haven't seen it come to fruition, but – I don't know. Yeah. Thought. I mean, yeah. Then you have to deal with passport things. It's like, it's not, you're not just, it's not just like it's two different States. It's two different countries. And you have to try to like manage that. Like I would hate to be, I would hate to be having to plan that trip for a team. You know, like that would just be miserable. I, I can't even imagine. Sounds like a I don't think it would work either. Honestly. I, I think it would just be like, what, what, what family want to go to either of those games at that point? I agree. Sounds terrible. In other big news, Albert Pujols, DFA'd, Todd Frazier, DFA'd, our childhood is coming to an end. Yeah, Pujols is – I looked at, um, like, his numbers today. Just, I don't know, kind of refreshing myself because when I when I started watching baseball seriously, or probably when I watched it the most, he was just crushing it for the Cardinals. For I can think of four or so good years there where he was just crushing it. But you look at his career, it was – it was really like a decade with the Cardinals where he was putting up monster numbers. Um, and I think, I think in some ways he's going to be remembered by the contract he got mm-hmm. and then how the play wasn't necessarily bad for the angels, but it definitely went down a bit. And so I kind of viewed it as like a, like a case study and almost like the crazy contracts that he got, like he got 
it was like what 10 years 240 or something like that like he got wild numbers so um yeah but i mean he's one of the greats it's i mean it's hard to argue against that it'll be interesting to see what his legacy is i guess yeah um couple things one he's the last active player from backyard baseball so that'll be a sad day when he's done um two um i i don't think he's done i think he's gonna i think he's gonna find another place to to play at least a couple more years he's he's kind of chasing some some uh milestones and so i think he needs a, a couple more years to reach those he's got to hit a few more home runs to reach another milestone it's like a hundred though maybe less than that i think it's like two or three years worth of of decent numbers for him to to reach another milestone in home runs. I think he still wants to play, but he came out and said he wants to play every day. I don't know that he's going to find that job. He's going to have to be a DH somewhere. And the only thing I can think of is the Tigers, and they already have Miguel Cabrera. So I don't, I don't know. I think he's going to want to try to keep playing, but I I think his career is, is shorter than he would like to admit. His numbers just aren't aren't where they used to be. He came out and said he was upset with Joe Madden, his managing style, and basically saying, I'm mad that I wasn't playing. But when you have Otani, he's got to be in the lineup as the DH. They just got a new first baseman who's playing well. So there wasn't really there wasn't room for him. And and I it's tough, but it it is what it is. Yeah, I mean he had 20 good years. Right. I, you know. <laughs> at some point it's like, all right, your numbers aren't what they are. I mean, even if you compare them to Votto, like they both got comparable contracts around the same age, you know, and Pujols career. If you just look at the numbers is better than Votto's. It's longer than Votto's. He's probably going to, you know, he lasted longer than Votto. I'd say Votto's kind of on the tailspin at this point. Um, and it, it, that really just goes to show you what kind of career Pujols had. Like um, I saw a stat the day he was released and it was like only him and Hank Aaron, um, hit like 600 homers, 600 doubles, and like 3,000 hits. Like two people in all of baseball ever have, you know, have gotten that combination of stats together. And that's just wild. So I think that speaks to his legacy to some degree. And I was happy that he went out to L.A. I was tired of him in the NL Central just beating up on the Cubs. I'm sure you were tired of him beating up on the Reds. Just, yeah. I mean, he got that massive contract. That's, that was what it took to get him at the time. And I think the Angels knew all along this, that the last few years were going to be not what you what you hoped for, but you were willing to pay those three years because you wanted those first four to five years. So I don't know. Probably didn't end the way either the club or Pujols wanted, but that's it, baseball's a business, and, and that's what it is. One of the, the GM of, at the time for the Angels, I think, said, Maybe it was a few years after the fact, but he said, like, we, I wish we could have gotten him for eight years, um, you know, for maybe the money that we gave him for eight years. But obviously, you're not going to you couldn't get him for eight. You had to get him for what he wanted at the time. So, yeah, it, it was like a sunk cost. Like, let's compete for, you know, the beginning of it. Also, I mean, the Angels can put up with that. You know, the, they have the resources where they can sink that much money into pools and it won't kill them. Like, if we're going to compare them to Votto and the Reds, like, you know, it if you put all your money in Votto, like, you know, that it's going to have more of an effect on your overall payroll. You know, it's, you can't, there's not as much wiggle room, I guess. Part of the problem though, is I don't think the angels ever made the playoffs while he was there. Like, like that, that's part of the issue. And, And that obviously that's not all of his fault, but that just, that just goes into this thinking that he was a bust in LA. Right. It would have been interesting to see if he had stayed with the Cardinals, what kind of, uh, if he would have kept, 
um, hits dominance a little bit longer, or if he would have, if that was just a natural, you know, progression of his career, that was going to happen. It might have been just because he did get started so early. Like he, I think he was in the league at 21. So like, you know, that's a decade in the league. <laughs> it's going to go downhill a little bit at some point. But that's nothing to scoff at. So yeah. let's stay with the Angels. Let's talk about Showtime, Shohei Otani. The dude is an animal. Last night he pitched at seven innings, struck out 10, and then went into right field for, to finish the game. Like nobody does that. The dude is an, an animal. Yeah, I was going to say, like, what's the last comparable player to him? Like a two-way player like him? Babe Ruth. Like, there's nobody in between? I don't think so. I mean, that's just <laughs> – it's wild. I mean, it's why I drafted Babe, obviously, but – Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just all the stats you see about pitchers and hitting and all that stuff, like, it's always just two people in that category, and it's Babe Ruth and Shoei Otani. I think we're seeing a once-in-a-generational talent – the unicorn Shohei Otani might win the AL MVP, although Mike Trout's still the best player in baseball. But those two on the same team, that that's a fun team to watch. If they if the games weren't so late, I would be watching them every night. That's weak, but yeah, I mean, fair as well. I mean, I saw he's he's leading the AL in home runs right now, right? Yep. And he's also got like a two ERA. Something like, <laughs> like that. it's it's not even just like he's doing both. He's doing both really really well. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, you always hear about you kind of hear about two way players sometimes coming up in the minors. and You're like, oh, this could be sweet. And then they never it never really pans out. Like usually they end up even if there's talk about it, they end up picking one one of the other forms. So it's cool that they're actually going through with it because um, the easy thing as a manager to, to do would be, all right, you're just going to pitch and then we'll save you for the next time. So I like that they're doing this. At least it makes it a lot more interesting. Joe Madden is the perfect manager for him because Joe Madden doesn't care what anyone else thinks. And he's willing to move anybody and everybody around. Like he put real like pitchers only in the outfield for a couple innings when he was with the Cubs. Like he moved Travis Wood out there for a couple innings. He put Pedro Strope out there. So just like, but now that he actually has an, a two-way player, I'm sure Joe Madden is just loving it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great, I don't even want to say problem. It's not even a problem to have. It's just a great situation to have, you know, in your team. Like I have, think of the roster flexibility. If you only have X number of players, now you can have, you know, you can, you can carry more in one part of your team than another. So the only thing I'm worried about is does his career become shorter if he continues to do both for an extended period of time? Does that, does that shorten his career? And I, I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, would would the fatigue or with just having more situations in which you could get hurt or would that all, you know, hinder, hinder you in the future, you know, added together? I don't know. It's a good question. Yeah, one thing I, I think they have been doing a pretty decent job of is they do have a pretty good pitch count on him. He, he's limited there. And I think most of the time he DHs. He doesn't play too much in the outfield, which obviously that's that gives your body a little bit more of a rest than, than run around the outfield. So. It'll be interesting. Hey guys, thanks for joining us for this episode. As there's a drive in a deep left field by Castellanos, it will be a home run. And so that'll make it a 4 nothing ball game. Um, don't forget, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere you get your podcasts. Don't forget to like, subscribe, follow, and comment down below. Thanks, guys. <laughs>